Thank you. Good morning. Uh, it's very nice to be back. Uh, there are some faces I don't recognize, which is always really encouraging when you come back to a church you've been part of for a while. Jared and Sarah, we were in the church for about six years, and we're mission partners with the church now, living in, uh, in the wilderness in Yorkshire. <laughs> no, it's lovely. We live in Huddersfield. Huddersfield, it's called. And we're learning lingo, aren't we? Hey, Sharon. Hi, we're grand. <clears throat> you might say, we might say we're doing champion, actually. Right. It's great. We serve up there with OMF and uh, are engaged in mobilizing for people to go overseas in mission and also working with churches in being more effective in reaching out to Muslims uh, in the north of England. Um, I, wonder, I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word wilderness. Wilderness. Where the wild things are. You know, for us, you kind of have this picture of the great outdoors. Now, I, I'm a kind of a great outdoorsy sort of bloke. You know, I used to live in Scotland. My idea of holiday, as my kids will testify, is being as far away as possible from anybody else and walking for miles and miles and miles. You know, that's my idea of fun. You know, I don't know about you, maybe tramping over the hills isn't your bag or rough camping in Dartmoor. Is that up your street? The idea of being as far away as possible from electricity, away from the internet, no reception. Is that your thing? Wilderness. It's wonderful. You're finding rest in solitude, rest in, in the simplicity of life, where you've got to cook everything from scratch and maybe even, maybe even catch it first. This idea of being a long way away from your hair straighteners, pretty stressful for my daughter. Not very stressful for me. I'm losing my hair. Now, if I'm describing that sort of place and inside you're just thinking, that is my idea of hell. If even glamping leaves you cold, then you're doing well because the Bible agrees with you. The wilderness is a bad place. It's a place not to go. Don't worry, outdoor uh, people, it's not teaching that you don't go into the wilderness. It is saying to us that the wilderness is not a positive thing in the Bible. The wilderness is not the kind of place you want to go and hang out to, you know, be alone. And it's not a place of still waters. It's not a place of green pastures. It's a place of barrenness, dryness, scarcity of food, where there's wild animals and wild people often cut off from society. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. And here, at the outset of Jesus' ministry, we read that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, where he'd just been baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. Where, for 40 days, he's tempted by the devil. He eats nothing during those days. And at the end of them, obviously, he's hungry. Now, Luke's probably recording for us in the gospel the climax of that period of temptation, not the full extent. And I'm going to look this morning at each of those three temptations and try and ask, well, what's the point of that today for me? How is that the word of God for us today? What does it teach us? But before I get to those three, I want to ask one much more fundamental question, much more basic. Why did this happen? What's this story? What's this passage? What's this account in our Bibles for? Why would Jesus be led into such a negative place by the devil, by the Holy Spirit, sorry, to be tempted by the devil. Why would that happen? Surely it's not a great idea. Is Jesus putting himself deliberately in harm's way to prove a point? Why would the Spirit lead him 
into the desert. Are we meant to put ourselves in a difficult place to prove God? Surely that can't be. Why is it here? It's always a great question to ask when you come to the scriptures. What's this here for? To understand the purpose of this historical event in Jesus' life, to understand why it's here in our Bibles, we must remember who Jesus is, okay? He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God right through the Scriptures. He is the hoped-for and expected Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. Jesus can be thought of as the true Son of Israel. That's Messiah, True Israel. Jesus can be thought of and is referred to in some of the letters as the last Adam. We had a first Adam, our ancestor, way back in the garden. And Jesus referred to as the last Adam. And when you recognize who he is, it helps us understand what this is here for. Because our ancestor Adam failed in his resistance of temptation. He failed. But the second Adam, the last Adam, won the victory and overcame. And Israel was in the desert, we know, for 40 years and failed and failed and failed and failed and kept letting God down and being disobedient. And but the true son of Israel in the 40 days spent in the wilderness was faithful and obedient to God in the wilderness. See, Jesus, Messiah, is in the process of undoing all that failure. He is in the process of reversing what took place in the garden, of demonstrating to us the true and faithful way to be obedient to God, demonstrating a new way, a way of victory, a way that has overcome once and for all, but for us. Now, the main teaching from this passage is this, and if you only remember one thing, remember this. Jesus overcame temptation. It was a real temptation because he was fully human. He overcame temptation. And in that, Jesus has not only demonstrated a way for us, also by his strength to overcome temptation, he's defeated the power of the evil one for us. Jesus, Hebrews tells us, was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet was without sin. And so Jesus is able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. He's able to give us the strength by his spirit to overcome temptation. The headlines for us is this. When God is obeyed, in compliance with the Spirit, Satan can be resisted. Now, we're in a Pentecostal church in Huddersfield, so I'd like a little amen at that point, okay? Can we do that? Can we do that? Okay. When God's obeyed in compliance with the Spirit, Satan can be resisted. There we go. Believe it. It's true. We all, every day, face temptation. And many of us, I fail frequently and give in to it. As you get older in life, you see, it's the same thing over and over and over again. And still I fall. Don't give up resisting that temptation. God provides a way out. 
He sympathizes with us in it, but gives us also the strength. But we have to realize this. As Jesus goes on to demonstrate throughout his life in these ongoing battles with Satan, culminating in that final one in Gethsemane before the cross. Remember this, there's always a challenge because the road to resisting temptation is not always obvious and it's not always the easiest. But often, it's the road of self-denial and suffering. We don't like either of those words, really. They're not the kind of words we want to have on our little wristbands. Self-denial. Oh, that kind of flies in the face of culture today. Self-denial, what's that all about? It's all about, I deserve it. I deserve this. Give me more. Self-denial and suffering is often the way towards a victory over temptation. Perhaps it is the case that we all need to have more simple journeys made our lives utterly complex. That what we need as we walk a path towards defeating the devil, defeating sin in our life, is to be living a more simple journey. So as we look at these three temptations in the life of Christ, can we see how a more simple lifestyle might address some of them? Might be one of those roads of self-denial that we're being called to consider? Look with me at verse 3 in the text we read, this first temptation. The devil says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. What's going on here? Well, the first thing that I love here is the fact that there's no doubt in the devil's mind that Jesus can do this. The devil knows who he is. Turn this stone into bread. That's not a problem for Jesus. I love that. But look, what's the temptation? The devil's really saying to Jesus, does God really want you to be hungry? Come on. Come on. He's given you all this power. Come on. Order your own affairs. Take responsibility. Come on. God's given you this power to provide for yourself. He's not going to look after you. You've got to look after yourself. Come on, Jesus. Turn the stone into bread. Don't stop at bread. Let's have a four-course meal with fine wines. Come on. You know you can do that. The temptation is one of self-reliance, a rejection of total dependence on God, a rejection of the idea that God knows best and is able to care for you and provide for you. The temptation is to doubt that and to rely on yourself. I face that temptation. Do you? Pretty much every day. At the end of the day, we're told in our world, it's down to you. Rely on yourself. You know, it's nice to have friends and it's nice to have family, but at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, it's down to number one. Rely on yourself. Provide for yourself. When we lived in China all those years, number one ideology amongst Chinese, it's down to me. If I don't do it, no one will, because they don't have a welfare state. They can't rely on the government. If I don't provide for my family, no one will. Self-reliance. We buy into that belief system so easily. We pretend we don't. We know, we know as Christians that we rely on God. Absolutely, absolutely. I've got faith in God. My trust, my dependence is on Him. We'd all say that. But actually, actually, deep down inside us, is there not a core, really, of self-reliance? Is it not inside that we actually believe I am where I am because of my hard work? I'm a self-made person. I can only actually rely on myself because all that stuff about faith in God, well, it's not very tangible, is it? I like to see 
the material side of things, I know that I can provide for my I can provide bread for my family. And if I don't, who will? It's foolishness, brothers and sisters, to believe that lie, that you are self-reliant and don't really need God. It's foolish and it's careless. Jesus answers to Satan makes it plain. What does he say? Man cannot live by bread alone. Human livelihood is way more than physical needs. You might think you can provide bread for yourself, but hey, there's way more to life than bread. There's way more to life than bread. You might believe that you can rely on yourself for these material things, but your daily needs are way beyond the material. Yeah, sure, you might increase in wealth. You might have enough stuff. But if your true being, your true self, your true purpose is found in doing the will of God in your life, if your real life involves a kingdom purpose, a heavenly peace, an absence of anxiety and fear and worry, an enjoyment of a loving community, a love of service for others and a security for the future, if that's what you really need, then who can provide that for themselves? Which one of us can be self-reliant in that area? When we seek everything first, we run the risk of losing the kingdom. Jesus told us, seek first the what? The kingdom of God and all this stuff, what you wear, what you eat, where you live, all this stuff will be provided for you, will be given to you as well. But seek first the kingdom. No to self-reliance. Yes to increased dependence. Second temptation. Look at verse 5. The devil leads Jesus up a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Devil says, Jesus, you can have it all. You can have it all and you don't even have to die. You don't even have to go through any hardship. Listen, I've got an easy way out. All the authority, all the glory of the nations, no suffering or death. This is the easy way, Jesus. Just bow down to me and you'll get the lot. Gain glory by compromise, says the devil. Jesus, look at the state of you. You've got nothing. I can give it you everything. Now, one writer has said this. Most successful people in the world are in debt to Satan. Ooh, that sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? Sounds a bit, I don't know what you think about that. But ask yourself this. How much compromise to biblical truth are you required to make to really get on in this world? If you're really going to be a success in the world's eyes, how much compromise of holiness or standards do you actually have to make? Flip it. How many really famous Christians who are up there and loved and respected by the world do you know? There are very few. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first, said Jesus. In this world, you can have all sorts of trouble if you follow Jesus. It's not a way to fame and success. The temptation that Jesus is facing here is this. Seize power and influence, position and glory apart from the will of God. Apart from the ways of God. You know, we've got to get on in life. Sometimes you need to grease a palm, maybe. Pay a bribe. Overlook an indiscretion. Ignore a shady deal or a dishonest practice. Turn a blind eye. You know, 
That's the only way to get on. But you and I are called to be holy, to be holy as God is holy, to follow the standards of the Scriptures, to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so many people are tempted to pursue success, be it material wealth, be it power, be it position. And many, when they reach the top of that mountain, they find themselves desolate and alone with a wreckage behind them because they've made the mistake of seeking the world and losing their soul and their family and their peace. True fulfillment in life, you see, is not found, we know this, in the abundance of what we've got. We can't take anything with us. We know this. True fulfillment's not found in great fame and influence. Jesus tells you where true fulfillment is found in verse 8. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Paul tells Timothy in his letter that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Can you imagine being content? What must it be like? I've longed to be content all my life. Godliness. I want godliness and contentment. I want contentment. This, this is great gain. Final temptation, verse 9. The devil leads Jesus to Jerusalem, has him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he says, Throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Mark this well, friends. The devil can quote scripture. The devil can quote scripture. The devil says, chuck yourself off that temple and trust in God to protect you. Come on, says the devil. You're going to go through some tough times. You've got to make sure God's there for you. So let's just jump off here. It says in the Bible that he's going to catch you. In the devil's theology, there are no martyrs. God protects you from death, doesn't he? In the devil's understanding, God protects from death. No, 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 that's not what we're taught. God promises salvation through death, not preservation from death. And Jesus here is being tempted to dictate to God how he must care and protect and fulfill his promises. Oh, sometimes I'd love to tell God what to do, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to? Oh, you know what, God, I know what the right thing to do is here. How often are we putting ourselves in that situation where we know best? God, you've got to do this. God, you need to do that. God, you've got to leave us in China. Prayed that for years. What are you doing bringing us back to the UK? Telling and dictating to God what he should do is a sure sign, a sure demonstration of a lack of trust in God. It's a lack of trust to put him to the test. It's as though Jesus is saying, I'm going to test you out now. The devil's tempting Jesus to say, I'll test you out now so that I know that it'll be all right in the end. Whenever you find yourself looking to God for miraculous protection in a situation that's actually not necessary to be in, don't fool yourself that you're exercising faith. You're sinning. You're putting the Lord your God to the test 
When you deliberately put yourself in harm's way, pursue an evil course of action, you know is wrong, but do it knowingly. You take unnecessary risks. It's not loyalty and trust in God. It's foolishness and sin. Faithfulness to God involves trusting Him, worshiping Him alone, and not creating tests for His goodness. I had a friend at university who used to reckon it was a good idea to put himself in harm's, in temptation's way. So he had a long-standing girlfriend, but he'd often go off and put himself in a place with loads of pretty girls just to see if he could resist. Yeah, stupid. What an idiot. But how often do we rush into these situations, put ourselves in difficult places? Oh, the Lord will look after me. Why are you there in the first place? Don't put the Lord your God to the test. I want to propose to you, friends, that a true life of fulfillment is defined as walking God's way and doing God's will. Walking God's way, doing God's will. And this probably will entail self-denial and suffering. Now look, Lent is a great time for us to refocus our lives, to, to take a time out, to reflect, to think about changes that we feel we should make in the way in which we are walking in God's way. The question for you is this, how can we better cultivate a complete dependence upon God? What does that look like in your life, in my life? You see, because it so often seems to us that it's only when the situation is desperately bleak, when you've lost all of the avenues to go to, when you're facing this deathly illness, and you know you can't heal yourself. It's only then do you throw yourself fully on God. When you get to the end of yourself, then you throw yourself on God. How foolish we are. Throw yourself on God now. Throw yourself upon him in utter dependency now. Turn to him in your need, recognizing your need of him now. Last week, when Matt and Caroline shared, Caroline testified as to how, having faced all the horror of her cancer, she was taking every day as this gift, and how she was making changes to her daily schedule to make sure that she's focused on her dependence on God. I was so challenged by that. I want to do that too. I want to make sure I order my days so that I recognize at the beginning, the middle, and the end that I am utterly dependent upon God. So the question for us to consider is this. What are you going to change? What are you going to seek to change? Please be sensible. Start small. Don't go into this radical overhaul. I'm, always a, I'm a naught to a hundred sort of guy. This radical overhaul of everything in my life and then crash and burn after three days. Start small. What one thing is God going to speak into your life today, right now, that he wants you to just to make a little change? Is it to do with cultivating time with him? Is it to do with cultivating time with others? That you're, you're rushing so much from A to B that you don't have time for anyone. What's he asking you to do? Is he asking you to cease your relentless pursuit of wealth or influence or success? Is he saying to you, you don't need this new thing. You don't need all that stuff. What's he saying to you? I'm not, I can't tell you what it is. But I'm going to leave a time now to reflect. What is the one thing that you want to change? God wants you to change. To make your walk before him, perhaps a more simple walk, but it's a walk of dependency 
growing dependency upon him and him alone to provide all that you need. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the reality of the temptation of Jesus and how, Lord Jesus, you overcame that temptation. It gives us courage and confidence, Lord, that by your grace at work in our lives, we too can stand firm against the tempter and for truth. Thank you, Lord, that you're so gracious and kind and compassionate to us that though we fail daily, yet your grace is sufficient and your forgiveness is full and free. I pray that you draw close to each one of us now, Lord Jesus, and speak speak to us about what it is you would have us change. And help us know the power of your Holy Spirit continually at work in our hearts, in our lives, bringing that transformation because our confidence is in you alone. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.